the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. If you look at the hallmarks of the church of the book of Acts, that oftentimes had to flee and go underground because of persecution. Their very lives were at stake because they named Jesus as Lord and Savior. And yet they stayed together and they stayed strong because there was a sense of community that they had, that they served the same Lord, had gone through the same challenges, were making the same sacrifices, working toward the same goal, in this case of of furthering the kingdom and, and doing Christ's work on earth, but it was community building. And sometimes we get so caught up in organization or organism construction that we forget that the real work that happens is that sense of community building. Um, and and it's, it's, it's disappointing when you hear the stories of people that say, I've come to the same church for 30 years and no one knows my name. Mm-hmm. We've done surveys asking simply the question, if you visit a church one time, what compelled you to come back the second time? And you might think the superficial things like, well, it's a really nice building, it's convenient to my house, the preacher's really got a great uh, sermon style, things of that sort. You know what the number one complaint is? Why cheap people go to a church to visit and never return? They went, nobody greeted them, nobody said hello, and they left. See, there was no sense of community. There was no connectiveness. And maybe, Pastor Crosby, therein lies one of the big challenges that we have allowed the world to dictate how we're doing relationship today. Um, Pastor Cleveland touched on this notion of doing Facebook-style relationships, who we friend, who we unfriend, all of that sort, instead of really genuinely engaging in the kind of community that allows them to know that we are believers by our love. You know, what it comes down to, it sounds like a soundbite, and to some some extent it may sound cliché, when you think of relationships, when you think of reaching the lost, when you think of teaching the Bible and discipleship, it comes down to be one, bring one, build one. Be a genuine Christian who believes what he or she reads in their word and tries to live it out so that you can bring one into a saving personal relationship with Jesus Christ and then build one to full maturity so that they can go and do the same thing and that you do this together as a church family. This becomes part of your DNA. Your church will, humanly speaking, grow. Now we talk about growth but I think we all would agree that if we take care of the depth of our ministry, God will take care of the breadth of it. And that's where the be one, bring one, build one comes in. And I think that's what we've lost. Because, it, you know, you can do mailings and you can do all kinds of things, but people come to church because people that they trust, people with, that, that have credibility in their sight, the be ones, invite them. And they come to Christ because they listen to these credible Christians. And these credible Christians then take them when they've come to Christ and they disciple their hearts and minds. We didn't learn how to walk overnight as children. We didn't learn how to talk overnight as children. It took work. And that's what I think the church has lost. And this is this whole relational thing that we're talking about. We've taken our eyes off of the ball, so to speak, and we've gotten hung up on lights and 
fog machines and all these sorts of things, and we've forgotten about people. We've forgotten about, you know, we have the Spirit of God enabling us to do things in Him that we can't do in our own strength. We have the Word of God to inform our thinking, and we have the people of God to encourage us and to spur us on. And that's all based on relationship, the vertical relationship with Christ and the horizontal relationship with one another. It all, it's, it's like a three-legged stool. And if you take one of those be one, bring one, build ones out of the equation, everything wobbles. Does that largely explain, then, in part, some of the challenges that we're seeing, um, Pastor Darnell, along with, and I'm going to add one more element to this discussion tonight. It, it amazes me the number of Christians who don't often open the word, or if, you, if, they, if they tell you that they're a Christian and you ask them why, they can't give you an answer as the reason why. There's no sense of being able to give the answer for the hope that lies within. Um, I, I wonder to what degree is, because at the end of the day, relationally, we have, we have the horizontal plane and the vertical plane, and the way we get to know the vertical plane is through God's word. And yet the degree of scriptural illiteracy in America today is alarming mm. that you meet Christians who cannot give you an explanation as to why they believe what they believe. How problematic is that? Major. It's absolutely major. It's, it's one of the things that keeps the church from being everything it could be in, in our culture today. Uh, the, the, the issue here that you're talking about is, in my thinking, discipleship. That's exactly what it is. Uh, you and I have been on the air a number of times talking about uh, the Saving the Save book and the issues around that. All the research that went into that book, all the time that was spent putting that together, it boiled down to one thing, the omission of true discipleship in the local church. And when that happens, everything Keith was talking about comes together. Without the discipleship, and discipleship is not, I went to a conference and talked to uh, them about, they wanted me to talk on uh, discipleship, or not discipleship, but uh, leadership, you know, and development in the church. Uh, By the way, the leadership industry that is influencing many of our young pastors and even some of those who are not so young uh, is a $51 billion industry a year. $51 $51 billion in America. And they bring that home to the church. Now, here's the thing. I really believe that when I got up and started to talk about discipleship, they kind of stared at me. It was like... Some of them are doing it now. <laughs> what, 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 what is that? You know, well, we have a membership class. We baptize. We, I mean, we, uh, uh, the pastor preaches a good biblical sermon on Sunday morning. I, I, I mean, we even have some small groups and, and a few Bible studies uh, and that kind of thing. Then why is it true what he's saying? Tell me about the hope that is within you. Tell me what's going on in your life. What is the Holy Spirit doing? How are your gifts working out in equipping the church? And we don't have answers for that. You know what I think one of the problems is, is not what we teach, but what we fail to teach. You know, we talk about John 3.16 all day long. Or you see churches, people come to Christ, they baptize them, they don't disciple them. 
And we stay away from the difficult topics because we don't want to offend anybody. And we don't teach them the whole counsel of God's word. That's right. And we raise, you know, it's like this. If we were a football team and all we could do is run, all you have to do is defense the run. But if we run past block... But because a lot of times we fail to teach people the whole counsel of Scripture, right. even when it militates or it goes against the culture because we're afraid of what people might think. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody once said to me, you're like a caveman or a dinosaur, you know, that you believe that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. you know. And, but you know what? That's the countercultural thing. Yeah, I do believe that. I do believe there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus Christ. There's no other way. You know, it. this is it. That's and it. there are people who don't trust him. And they're not going to make it. They're, not, they're going to go to a very bad place. And it's not that I don't love you. It's because I love you that I tell you that. And we get rid of repentance. We get rid of reading the Bible. You know, this word of the law should not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it mm-hmm. day and night. And we, mm-hmm. we move away from that. And we just try to make it easy for them. And in so doing, we make it very hard because they cannot make sense of their existence. And there's some pastors that have told me uh, when we were doing the research uh, for that book, it, um, they're very, they were very frustrated that people in their church, church members, would come to them and say, you know, we, we love you and we like the church and all that, but, but there's got to be more to this faith. There's got to be more. What, what else can we do? And, and, and the average answer that comes back is, oh, we got this program, uh, or we can go over here and do this. Or if you want to, you can start a, well, go ahead and start a, a committee on that. That's fine. Sounds good to me, you know. And little by little, we, we walk away. Like you just said, we just walk away from the discipling efforts of what we're all about. And I think once we, once we understand, I go back to this again and again. It's, I'm teaching a class on Matthew at the church. I drive them crazy with this. You know, it's who you are. And whose you are, and are you willing to take, knowing that you're a citizen of the kingdom of God, the time it takes? Let me just, one quick example. 168 hours in a week, all right? I asked him to read five chapters and come back next week, right? Pastor, I... I, it was a busy week. I only got through two. I only, I only made it through one. And I, I'm okay with that, and I move forward, and I try to bring up the speed. 168 hours that week. What were they doing? Facebook, YouTube. <laughs> this brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. It's hard to make up your mind to do it Jesus' way in his church. Not your church, in his church. You belong to him. People ask me, uh, I wrote this down here while Craig's talking a little bit. I wanted to emphasize this. Here's, Here's the whole thing about it. I looked at these real quickly. And there's scriptures behind all of them. I can give them to you if you're interested later. But why would you want to get discipled and be involved in your local church and then in your community and then going out, making not what your mouth says, but what you do, actually, 
uh, the ministry that we're talking about here? Here it is. It's simple. You want to belong to a fellowship for these reasons. It keeps you strong spiritually. It helps you to grow. You grow in knowledge of the faith. So you, you, you don't get into your small group and read the book that James Darnell wrote. You get into your small group with your Bible, and you go through the scriptures, and you try to find out what's going on. I'm not saying you can't read other books of other pastors. Sure you can. That's not a problem. But the issue here is what are you all about, and why should you be involved? The other thing is that you're purchased. You have been purchased, like me, with the blood of Jesus Christ. You belong to him. I belong to him. The other thing is the fellowship. We've been over this several times right here. All about the fellowship. It's our relationship with one another. Caring for one another. Bearing each other's burdens. The cross has that horizontal strip like they're telling you. Exactly true. Then comes the one that we kind of shirk under a little bit. The authority. The authority of the pastor, the authority of the church, the authority of the scriptures, the authority of the word of God. Oh, you mean I got to submit to that? Yes. Because that's why they're put there. In order to keep us on the right track, to undergird us. That's what that's all about. And then, of course, there's things like Peter goes ahead and says that we should be learning to love each other. And we need to learn to love each other correctly. Peter had a very big struggle with that in his life with Jesus, as you know. And then you have the scriptures themselves. 2 Timothy 3.16. Here we got scriptures that are going to teach us. They're going to give us proof. They're going to help us live through the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit. They're going to correct us. They're going to train us in righteousness. They're going to do all those things that are part of discipleship. That's why we come. We don't come Sunday, and I have nothing against Keith. I love Keith. Uh, d- just to hear Keith preach, do we? No. He's happy to preach. He's happy to share the scripture with you. But he expects you to respond. And you want to respond because of who you are and whose you are. Pastor Darnell, yeah. if I may. Jump yeah. in. Go for it. We're coming up onto what is what we call Easter, um, which I think is a misnomer, is resurrection. Amen. We, we're not pagan worshipers. But this pagan ruler asked us very important question by the name of Pilate. He was talking to Jesus, and he said, what is truth? Now, that's the big issue that's facing the church, and the message today is, what is truth? If you listen to people, uh, and you've heard it say, there's two things they're saying right now, and you can see it all over social media and everywhere else. I'm living my best life. Have you heard that term? How many of you guys heard that term? All right. And they say, uh, I'm living in my truth. Have you heard that? Oh, yes. Well, if you're living in your truth and I'm living in my truth, then what is truth? The challenges that is facing this country today, America, church in America, and the people that we're trying to reach 
is what is truth. You are, as Christians, supposed to be truth tellers. How do you tell the truth? By verbal acuity and verbal gymnastics? By heavy theological implications? Is that how we tell it? By uh, intellectual definitions? Is that how we tell the truth? No, you tell the truth by how you live. Live it out. Amen. If you don't tell the truth by how you live, then what is truth? I might as well have my truth. If I can live your way, and, and matter of fact, why is your way better than my way? If I got my truth, you got your truth. Keith, you got your truth? No, I don't want your truth. <laughs> I want the truth, and you shall know the truth. If I have to find the truth, if I want to be free, I need to know the truth. And who is truth? I am the way, the truth, and the life. We have to believe the message that we preach, that we live. We must believe what we say we are, who we are and whose we are. The truth lies in that. And you are truth tellers. If you want to help the church grow, be truth. Don't live a lie. Live truth. Jesus Christ said he was truth. Why? Because he lived the truth. He reflected. He was the exact image of God. And we are reflectors of that image. And if we're not reflectors of that image, then everybody's mixed up. I'm going to school like everybody else, but I don't want to be so high in my intellectual pursuits that I can't reach you right where you live. I must live out the truth by how I live, how I love, how I learn, and how I respond to people. I must be truth teller. I shouldn't be sitting up here on KFAX radio if I'm not a truth teller. I should not be in anybody's pulpit if I'm not a truth teller, I should not be carrying the name of Christian if I am not a truth teller. I should be able to look at every one of you and love you and reach you and let you know that we are part of a family relationship. My truth in relationship is that you're my family. What is truth? What is truth? Do you know what the truth is? I know who the truth is and I know the truth lives in me. And I want to make sure I reach everybody with the truth not with great seminarian learning. I think you need to go to seminary. I think you need to learn. But I have to be able to speak to you right where you are. Jesus had all wisdom, all knowledge, and he sat on the well and talked to a woman that everybody else did not think had anything. He related to her. He talked about water because he knew she was thirsty. What was she thirsty for? Truth. She was thirsty for truth. And she went back. And what did she do when she found the truth? She went back and said, I found a man that told me everything I was. And they all came to hear what he had to say. And you know what they said in the end? We believe not because of what you said. We believe because we heard him. And now I have experienced the truth. Truth is lying dead in the streets. I'm going to say one thing and I'm done. I, I, see, I had to stop Craig right there. Craig, yeah, you're ready, Craig. I'm going to say one thing I'm done. And I believe it's... Uh, you know, I made notes to be ready for this. Uh, Isaiah 59, 14 to 15. This describes the United States just like it described Israel back in the day. Justice is turned back. And righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the public squares. Mm, come on now. And uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking. 
Go back and read that in the 59th chapter of Isaiah. Truth has stumbled in the public squares. Why has truth stumbled? Because we stumbled. We have stepped off our foundation. And when somebody challenges you on what you believe, you move off your spot. When somebody says that it's a dinosaur, is archaic, and you can't do that. Well, you know what? My life was, in a, was a mess until I found out the truth. And no matter how moral, how righteous you thought you were, your life was a mess until you found out the truth and built a relationship with the truth. If truth is, is, is stumbling in the public squares, it's because we are not modeling the truth. I'm saying that to me just as well as to you. This is not going outwards. This is inward. I need to be a truth teller. The issue that is facing the church in America is that we are not standing on the foundational truth of the Bible. We're letting everybody move us off our spots. We are embarrassed because we know the truth. Because somebody challenges on the truth. I will say this. I already said I was going to say one last thing. Don't give a preacher a mic. I have a hard time with these guys right here. I'm going to get this last two minutes in because I'm going to get another chance. Anyway. We have to do better. Now, I'm going to say this, and I think, Craig, I think you said it so well, and I think we need to emphasize that. And at the closing statement, there's a statement need to be made. The church is not in danger. Church not in danger. It's God's church. The church is still viable, it's still alive, and it's still relevant. Mm. I think I said something, didn't I? The church is alive, the church is viable, and the church is relevant. There's nothing wrong with the church in America. There's something wrong with America. (laughs) And there's something wrong with some of us who are saying we are in the church. But the church is Jesus Christ's church, and it will always be victorious, it will always be viable, and it will always be relevant. Because I know the truth. Amen. Amen. Amen to that. I'm going to pause on that point or I'll go to preaching here in a moment. We're going to take a brief time out. We're also going to ask uh, those in the audience that want to line up for some questions here to get behind the microphones. We'll take a brief time out. We'll come back to more special edition of Lifeline. We're talking about the challenges facing the church today. How do we get committed Christians committed to the church again? This brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation with me today in our very special live broadcast here today from Hillside Church in San Jose. The lead pastor, of course, our host today, Pastor Keith Crosby. Also with us is Pastor James Darnell. He is one of the teaching pastors at Valley Bible Church in Pleasanton. And also joining us is Reverend Cleveland Prince, Men's Ministry Director at Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church in Redwood City. We've been spending some time on the program tonight talking about some of the things that are facing the church, the challenges that we are facing, and most importantly, what the church can be doing to to see a revitalization. To, to essentially go through, uh, is it anything else but to talk about a modern-day reformation as we begin to talk about the things that need to fall by the wayside and begin focusing once again 
on the real priorities. And as we've heard in the dialogue um, from our panelists tonight, many of those priorities come back to true discipleship, knowing the truth through reading God's word, living out the truth, and then sharing with others and being a part of the community of church, not showing up to do church, not being a spectator at church on Sunday, but being a part of community. And um, I'll mention again, if anyone has a question for our panelists, I'll invite you to get behind one of the microphones here tonight, and we'll, uh, we'll have our panelists address your question. And I want to turn back, if I can, to uh, Pastor Crosby. As we talk about the challenge facing the church today, let's, let's break it down for the people in the pews, for the average day-to-day Christian who is going to work, paying the bills, taking kids to um, choir practice, to uh, soccer practice, um, all of the things that we do in living out life and raising a family, to that person that says, okay, now you're giving me a new set of marching orders here. How exactly do I make this all fit into my life? It sounds complicated. It really isn't complicated so much as it is difficult to do because what you have to do is you have to make sacrifices. And we don't live in an era or in a culture that is fond of sacrifice. Uh, Years and years ago, I spent some time training pastors in the former Soviet Union. And for them, they're in church Monday night, Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night. Saturday night. The church is their world, and they leave the church to go out into the lost world to share the gospel. You don't live to work. You work so that you can live, and anything that comes between you and God sooner or later becomes an idol of the heart, and so what's happened is we've said, well, I I really can't come to church on Sunday night because I need some family time. They say, we ditched the Sunday night service. And all the kids and the parents are going in different directions. Well, we really can't come on Wednesday night because we need family time. You ditch the Wednesday night service, they're all going and doing. And so we've basically just ceded our territory to the world. And I think what the person in the pew has to do is make a decision. You know, why am I here? Why has God raised me up for such a time as this? And there are some people, places, and things that have to go. And we have a saying sometimes here, we detach and discard. If your right eye offends you, pluck it out and throw it away from you. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. There's stuff that has to go so you can make room for God. And if you don't do that, then God really becomes secondary and everything and everyone else becomes primary. And that is the fundamental challenge that we face. So does it become then a matter of setting priorities? For example, you mentioned about family. A lot of folks today say... We hardly ever see the kids. When we do see the kids, because everybody's on different schedules, it's just for a few minutes, and then we're at the dinner table, and we're trying to have a meal together, and everybody around the table, they're all on their cell phones, Facebooking and, mm-hmm. and, and so forth, yes. and so there's no real dialogue taking place. Do you need to intentionally set the priority to say, for example, in the case of family time, When we come together, we're going to find one day a week when nobody has any other commitment in the evening. We're all going to come together as a family, and at 6 o'clock at night, the TV gets turned off, the cell phones all get put on mute, and we sit around that table, we break bread together, we share with one another, we talk about what's going on in each other's lives, and we commit ourselves to that. Equally to say, on a Sunday morning, 
even though we know the Raiders are going to play this weekend and it's a lot riding on this game, I can't miss it. We're going to prioritize to say Sunday morning is time that we set aside not only just to be with God, because you mentioned this either earlier, uh, Pastor Darnell, we should be setting time with God all the time Mm -hmm. in our relationship with him. Sunday morning is time for community time together in coming to worship together as a community. Do we need to then really begin to realize that we have to set and make time and make priority for these things? We do. And let me give you a little application so when you go home today. You know, you may try to round up your kids, your children, and they're like, nah, we ain't going to do it. And so you and your wife then get together, or you and your husband then get together and model that for them week in and week out. You know, people say, well, I tried it for five days and it didn't work. Well, try it for five months. And it's the same with church. Let them see you worship. You know, we send them off to children's or we send them to these different places. And if a, and if a son or daughter watch their mother or father love God and enjoy the worship and at the end of it discuss the pastor and not his tics and quirks and speech impediment and southern accent or whatever it is, but talk about something substantive, they may not participate initially But what do we say sometimes? Christianity is not just taught, it's caught. You're essentially talking about modeling here. Yes, setting the example for others to follow. Good point. Uh, Let's uh, have one of our uh, audience members with a question. Your uh, your first name and uh, the town you're from and your question, please. My name is Sue, and I'm from San Jose. Here. I absolutely agree with what you guys are saying. What I'm seeing, and it's very frustrating, is the... um, work environment is so difficult that people have to work, feel the pressure to work from their jobs, so they're working 50 hours a week. Um, How can you, especially when mom and dad, in in order to afford a house now, you have to work 50 hours a week, and it's very frustrating, but how can we address changing the work environment so that there's not so much pressure, so there is a little more time. Yes, I agree, we need to, you know, Johnny doesn't have to be in 15,000 things, um, but also mom and dad are so dis- divided as well. That's a good question, and, and I'll ask any of our panelists to respond to it, because another level of complexity is not only the compelling need to go to work because you live in the Bay Area, so you have a mortgage that's, you know, a million dollars, But then you have an employer that insists that you're answering email 24-7. And so being able to disconnect from this thing uh, is more and more difficult. One day I I happened to lean over and um, you know where this went? Right in the drink. And I'll I'll let you guess which drink it went into. (laughs) And and I, I quickly fished it out and the screen fluttered for a moment and then it died. And... I had the most incredible next 72 hours waiting to get a replacement. The guilt all went away because I thought, even if they want to call me, I can't answer. Uh, How do we go about intentionally disconnecting even when we feel as if the pressure to be there on the job, either because of the financial responsibilities or the boss constantly texting and emailing us, how do we unplug from that? Let me... Somebody who discipled me a long time ago when I was in seminary and I was working at a church in Southern California, and he was the counseling pastor there. And he said what he did, and this kind of addresses what Sue is saying, is he would take out his appointment book and he would book family time and a date with his wife. 
And then when his boss, when we, who shall remain nameless, would call and say, look, Stuart, uh, I need to meet with you today. He goes, you know, I've got a commitment here, and I can move if you want me to, John, but if not, um, I'm going to have to keep that. And he'd say, oh, no, go ahead and keep that commitment. And what you might do is block out the needful things first and then let everything else fill in around it. And that might be time with family and time with God, family devotions or time with your husband or your wife, time with your kids. And then if your employer calls and says, oh, oh, I was in a meeting, you were in a meeting. You don't have to tell him who it was with or her who it was with. I'm not saying be deceitful. I'm saying be intentional. I have a friend who works in hospice care. And so that, of course, on a routine basis is dealing with those who are at the end of life. And this person has said to me, you know, it's interesting. Um, I'm often there to witness the times when people are kind of, as they recognize their time is short, or going over the regret list. And he said, I've heard people talk about every imaginable regret in the world. He said, but I tell you what, in all of these years of doing it that I've never heard anybody say, they will say, I regret not spending more time with my spouse, not spending more time smelling the proverbial roses, not spending more time with the kids. None of them have ever said, I really regret not putting more hours in at the office. (laughs) So being intentional about that. I think is an excellent point. We take this brief time out. We'll be back with more as this special edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Before we run out of time, and we're perilously getting there, I want to give each of our panelists an opportunity to give a closing thought to this very vital topic. Let me start first with Pastor James Darnell. Pastor James, a closing thought. For me, I choose to follow Christ. And what that means is, If I have to suffer for that, if I have to be persecuted for that, if I have to um, study to show myself approved, if, if, if I have to change my agenda, if I have to do things differently, uh, if I have to confront my sin and, and opportunities for uh, temptation and bring them to the throne of God where I have an advocate uh, that tries to rule in my behalf. Whatever I have to do to grow in holiness so that I can approach my God who loves me and who has given everything for me. And by the way, I don't believe that I, in all my years of ministry, have ever made a contribution to anything God has done. You with me on that? You know, the the whole thing is, is simple. When I was teaching a course on the Gospel of John, I said to the class, how many Gospels do we have? And they raised their hand, and with no problem at all, they said four. And I said, the one thing we've got to get straight here, 
we have one gospel. We have a number of men like Matthew, and we have a gospel according to Matthew, and we have a gospel according to John, and whatever the Holy Spirit led them to write and and put down. But for me, to bring this together is, I want my life to be a life that exemplifies a way of living that that uh, brings glory to God for the gospel, for what he did for me. Now, that's a little personal, but I mean, basically, I want you to know you should be my brothers and sisters, so there's no reason why I can't tell you that. <laughs> and I should be able to tell you uh, that, that even at my age and all that I've been through in life, I am still growing. I'm still learning. I'm still having to get on my knees and ask for forgiveness. That's just a normal day. And so I believe that we've heard a lot of encouraging things from these great men who have given their life to Christ. And I really believe that we're all in this together. And I think this church can grow like any other church. And all we have to do is make up our mind that we're going to do it God's way. And we're going to teach and preach the gospel. We're going to disciple each other. We're going to love each other. And I love this uh, thing the pastor said here about uh, it's not so much what comes out of your mouth and what you say, but it's what I see you do and how you relate and build that relationship with each other and with Christ. And that's that vertical and horizontal thing we talked about with the cross. So um, my prayer for you would be that you build a really strong and a really satisfying relationship with Jesus Christ. And he becomes the power point in your life. So that everything you think, say, and do kind of goes right through him. And uh, that's my closing prayer. Good, good pivot point there. Mm-hmm. All things should pivot on our relationship with Christ. Some closing thoughts from Reverend Cleveland Prince. I'm going to attempt to be succinct. I submit to you that the church is a living organism that is growing and thriving in its real message and focus, and the assaults are evidence that the church is still viable and relevant. It would be purposeless to attack a dead organism. It would be purposeless to destroy something that is no longer viable and relevant. Here's my declarative and demonstrative and emphatic position. In relation to the question is that the church is alive, viable and relevant as a living organism, blown along by the Holy Spirit, still victorious, still the place where deliverance and transformation happens and will not 
and cannot be destroyed by the winds of changing culture, changing times, changing boundaries, and changing definitions. Got to get the microphone for that. Amen. At the end of the day, because God (laughs) changes not. Amen. Uh, We're going to give the final closing word to our host pastor, and I want to first say, uh, Pastor Crosby, thank you so much for opening your your church to us, and you've been very, very gracious and kind. Uh, Please, if you would, some closing thoughts on our topic tonight. I just think of the church and her purpose and and embodied in Acts 1-8, that we are to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. You know, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, whether that's San Jose, Santa Clara, California, and around the world. We are to be his witnesses. We are to bear witness to him from the word of God. And I think if we do that, we'll fulfill the Great Commission, and the church will grow and thrive beyond what we see today. In a handful of days, we will mark what I consider to be by far the most important date on the church calendar. Um, While certainly we and the world put a lot of emphasis on Christmas and we set aside an entire month and we close down for holidays and we decorate our homes and our offices ostensibly to celebrate the birth of our Savior, um, that is just part of the story. And the story's real significance comes not alone in Christ's birth, but in his death on the cross and even more still, on his bodily resurrection. Unlike many world religions, we do not serve a dead God. We don't go to a tomb and lay flowers at a grave for a spiritual leader that is no longer with us. But in fact, on that great Sunday morning following Friday, we celebrate Christ's victory over death and the grave But we just don't celebrate it toward him, but we celebrate it with him because the work that he has done on the cross in overcoming death and the grave is something that all of us can share in when we surrender our life to him. As we wrap up the program tonight, for those listening on the radio and those here in our audience, I would ask you to ask yourself the question, Where do you stand in that relationship with the Lord? Is it one that's vibrant, that lives out the truth every day, that celebrates in the study of God's word, that rejoices in opportunities of discipleship or mentoring and sharing our faith with others? Or is it one that kind of seems to be just doing things by rote? I show up church every Sunday like I go to work Monday through Friday because I kind of feel obligated to, but I'm not getting that much satisfaction out of it. If your life has become by rote, I would challenge you to reconsider that and to prayerfully go before God and say, Lord, I want a fresh start. I want a new life. I want to surrender all of the old things that have gotten in my way of a relationship with you. Ask you to please take those things from me and replace it with a vibrant, powerful relationship. That your prayer would be, God, make me the person you want me to be and help me be the person 
through whom your light shines so that all men might see that you are alive. I want to challenge everyone to make a rededication as we mark the Easter celebration and look at it as a time of new beginnings and to recognize, as we've heard from our panelists here tonight, that while, yes, the church faces a lot of challenges, to be sure, the final chapter has not been written. That, in fact, if we read the final chapter in God's Word, we know the truth. We know how the story ends. We know that the church is one that is victorious and triumphant because Christ is going to return for his perfect bride. Thank you all for being with us here tonight. Also, thanks to our listeners. We want to thank our, uh, our producer, Wanda Sanchez, Wanda Cornelius, our engineer, uh, Joel Rivera, back at the station. I'm Craig Roberts. As we wrap up the program, and remind you each and every evening, don't just keep the faith, but get on out there and share it. Till next time, so long, and thank you. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.